I'm Art. Welcome back to the Art of Value Investing. If you haven't heard the other episodes, there's only been two more. This is episode three, and it's the 17th of September, 2020. I'm not using my real name because this is a space where I want to speak freely without complications in any part of the rest of my life. It probably wouldn't happen, but it does mean that I can feel like I can speak more freely. It's my public space to talk about it public private space to talk about it just between you and me who am i my investing background i am not a professional money manager i just manage my my family's money but i did go i have done investing courses through stanford university and columbia business school the intellectual home of value investing where warren buffett went and other great value investors what I want to say is do your own research. I'm not giving any investment advice here. The usual caveats in these kinds of podcasts. Do your own research. And don't go me if it goes wrong. I'm not providing advice. It's just for me. This is just for this is for me to work through my own thoughts as well as telling as well as sharing them with you because I'm al- analyzing stocks in depth. And in this podcast today, in the in the podcast today, I'm going to talk about a little bit of market news as usual, what's been going on in the, especially in the crazy tech sector, and a, a podcast that I that I listened to about um, bubbles, market bubbles over the over the centuries. Actually, good book. I've read it, and there's a podcast interview somebody. And also, then I'll talk about, get to the meat of the show, Stitch Fix. I am interested in Stitch Fix. If you go to episode two, I list a number of stocks on my radar that I that I, I don't, that I am interested in digging into. Stitch Fix is one of those, so I'm going to talk about that today. Please feel free to leave me an audio message at anchor.fm, Art of Value Investing. I've also started a Twitter now, at the Art of Value, brand new Twitter for that. Let's talk on there too. Okay, let's get into it. Right, so market news, what's happening, what's been happening? I'll start off with that and then go into a company that I'm look, the company that I mentioned that I'm looking into, Stitch Fix. So, what's been happening? Tesla, 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 and the tech sector. Tesla's bounced back up, and I still see from some of the Facebook or a Facebook group, one Facebook group in particular that I visit, that people are pretty still hyped up on it. It's a Tesla mania. One of the reasons I'm not, I don't own Tesla. And um, if it if it dropped way 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 back, if there was a if there was a crash and it dropped way back, I might start looking at it. I mean, I think Elon Musk's a, a great entrepreneur. There's no doubt about that. And it could be could go on and on and be good, but I think it's got a long way to go, and it's the price has just got way out of whack. Just in fact, I saw a tweet today. Not today, the other day. Um, that kind of thought, yeah, that seems about right. 
and the, the person said it was actually Zach Abraham from at KYR Radio. I don't really know who they are, but I saw their tweet. Said with any with with each passing session, I become increasingly convinced that Tesla is the keystone for the te- for tech in general. When it breaks, the whole house of cars is coming down. I mean, that's pretty depressing. <laughs> but well, not it's not. I mean, if if it's it's I it resonated with me because it could be true. I mean, it's just got so far, and other tech companies as well, even Apple, which is a great company, but the valuations of these companies is is so high that if it does go and I, you know like two weeks ago when it went down 30% because it missed out on the S&P 500 inclusion and a few other things it did plummet 30% but it sort of bounced back up the people have still faith in it when it if it does crash and people lose faith it might become interesting to look at it but it could take the whole tech sector down with it and the whole market we'll have to see I mean it's just speculation but um Uh, it seems entirely possible where other but other sectors of the market are not so are not so expensive. So it's I mean I talked about this in the last episode two of the podcast if you want to go back to listen to that a little bit. But something of related to that's of interest I saw where did I see this? I'm not sure where I picked it up. I might have been from another podcast. Uh, and it says when Apple is when Apple's market cap hit 420 billion for the first time, which was in January 2012. The company had a net income of approximately 40 billion. Tesla posted a trailing 12-month net income of just 366 million. Tesla overvalued, or Apple was a steal, or both. And the thing is that that 366 million that Tesla's profit is the is the tax credits that people talk about. So the just the huge difference at the at where the uh, where the the income was at the same point implies that Tesla's very overvalued. But you can't say anything like that to the the Tesla fanatics out there. Sorry if you are one. I like Tesla. I like the company. I like what they're doing. Just it's just way overvalued. So I just think it's going to be. It's very likely to be a be a, be a massive pullback at some stage. Now, I also another bit of news I heard. I just want to direct you to another podcast actually, which I heard yesterday in relation to the market. It's called the podcast called the End Game Grant Williams podcast. I think it's called the End Game, but Grant Williams, look it up. Episode seven. I'm not. Uh, I might. No, I'm not going to put the link in because I don't want to do too much work, <laughs> as I said, for this podcast. It's easy to find if you search for it. You just search for it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever. Um, so it was a, the the podcast was an interview with historian journalist and author Ed Chandler and I've read the book I read this book it's called it's a great book called Devil Takes the Hindmost I read this a couple of maybe last year or the year before after seeing a sort of word of mouth recommendation somewhere about markets 
I was kind of looking at the macro level and actually I remember now it was during the dot com the um, Bitcoin bubble which I could see was a bubble a lot of other people could but it was the same kind of mania that we see now with Tesla actually and um, so this it's a history of of three centuries of bubbles of speculative manias and bubbles in the stock market. So going back to tulips and ending in, is it Japan was the last one or is it dot-com bubble? I don't think it included the dot-com bubble, but it included Japan, Japan's run-up in real estate and stocks and then the, we all know what happened after that. It's kind of been flattened down down ever since then, since 1990. Excuse me, I'm just going to take a drink here. And so he shares his thoughts about the current situation, parallels of now with, with previous bubbles and sort of similarities between them, which is what the book's about and how to recognise bubbles. And so that's an interesting podcast. He's, needless to say, he's not... He's, fairly pessimistic about the current situation in fact he said he loses sleep over it which is a bit it's entertaining but a little bit depressing as well but he see he sees after you know somebody who's researched bubbles in history and can see parallels in what's going on right now so you could say that i'm kind of given all this you could say I'm a bear and people are calling me bear, a bear, I'm not a perma bear, in fact, I'm still looking for honey, as you know, if you were, if you saw the last part, episode two, you'll, uh, you will see that I've been looking, you know, forever looking for, for good buys, because part of the market isn't expensive, and also there are some incredibly beaten down sectors because of COVID, you know, commercial real estate, travel related things. So I've been looking at things in those some of those sectors. Obviously, you know, um, hotels and that sort of thing. But I haven't really. Uh, real there's some real interesting real estate things that I actually have bought, but I, that I might talk about at another time. But we've beaten down more than half, seventy five percent. But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. I am going to talk about Stitch Fix. And as I said, as I've said, this, okay, this is the first company that I've dived deeper into, but I'm just at the early stages. I mean, full disclosure, I, this is not a recommendation I've said before about any of the companies I talk about. I'm looking at them, but I do own a bit of Stitch Fix, and that's because what I'm tending to do my strategy is to really only buy as many as 15 companies, 10 to 15, otherwise you just can't. I just don't think any more than that you can really know a lot about them. You can't spend a lot of time on them and, and you're just not going to know. How can you evaluate something that you just kind of can't keep up with? And people have different investment strategies, but it's kind of a more traditional and modern value investing strategy of having 10 to 15. I mean, you, then you can get diversity. You can get diversity out of ten stocks, and you can sort of go in depth. 
So stitch picks I but having said that, I do have a small position because I also like I sort of tending towards the strategy that of Tom Gaynor from Markel Corp. Is the investment runs the investment there? The mini mini Berkshire. I do own Markel as well, by the way. A substantial percentage. I think it's up to five. I bought five, and then the price kind of went up, and I I stopped. Uh, but I think I got a good value, good value there in Markel. But being a mini Berkshire. He takes. He was explaining in a video that I saw when I was researching Markel that his strategy. You'll notice that if you look up his portfolio, they have a lot of stocks. They have a lot of stocks, but only the top ones are kind of five percent or more. Maybe the in the top ten stocks have quite a high percentage, or the top five have quite a high percentage, and then it goes down and down. And the way his strategy is that he buys. If he starts to get interest in something, he buy a little bit just to he'll buy a little bit of it just to, just to get the interest and to make them work on it. And if he gets more interested, he'll buy more. And I guess that sometimes the the um I, you know the price of it might not be favourable, so he wouldn't or maybe he doesn't get them at really rock bottom prices because he's not going and buying all all at once. If there's if there's a crash, he might. But he might buy a small percentage just to be interested, and it's he he was talking about it like a team, like a it was a sports analogy, like a team, like this there are people sitting on the bench, and he might ro not rotate players, but um, sort of move them up the team, take ones out, and sort of, and so somebody becomes the star of the team after sitting on the bench and playing well. It's kind of like that, and I'm I'm taking this kind of strategy. With a few stocks actually, so I've got a small a small percentage of this of Stitch Fix just to be interested, and I think it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't as cheap as I'd like, and uh, I don't have the figure here of what I bought it for. What did I buy it for? Um, sorry, I'll think of it later, but uh, I'll, I'll look it up. But um, that's what I'm going to look at today. I'm going to look, we're going to go into a little bit of this. It's just going to be qualitative, really, because I'm not, I, you know, I, when I need to, I want to understand, I want to understand the company and I want to understand what they do, what it's about before I even get into the figures. But having said that, I did do a back of the envelope again in the episode last week I talked about a whole bunch of companies I was interested in and Stitch Fix was sort of one of the cheapest on on a enterprise value to gross profit I think I got was it 3.75 which is not bad for you know for a growth company early quite early stage growth company that's I think that's a good multiple to use okay I bought it at 28.17 that's the that's the initial which wasn't particularly and it's, I, I think over the long term it's it'll probably work out to be quite good. If I keep, if I buy more, if I establish a big position in it, but I'm kind of hoping that it would go down from there, quite a lot down. I mean the stock price has ever since it in 2017 when it IPO'd, uh, was I think it was below 20 and it sort of bounced around between around sort of 20 to, it's gone up as high as 50, 
It's bounced around between 20 and 30 and gone down, say in March this year, to around 10, which I wish I'd started buying it then. But I kind of think, buying it at 28, I'm kind of hoping it goes down to 20 or less. And I've noticed that, you know, in some insider buying this year, earlier on, it's been pretty cheap. And, you know, uh, somebody like, who was it? One of the directors, a 10% owner, Bill Gurley, has he bought it on the open he bought some on the open market between twenty twenty eighty three and twelve seventy six. Wouldn't it be great to get would have been great to get some for a twelve seventy six. Um but also that you know people insiders have been buying it between fifteen like fifteen dollars to twenty so it's more than that. Bill Miller from Miller Value Partners owns a fair chunk of it, the company I've noticed, so I mean, these are all good things that I noticed off the bat that kind of got me a little bit interested in it to begin with. I can't remember how I heard about it actually, it might have been a Motley Fool podcast actually, which I do listen, and I'm not really interested in many of the stocks, they're kind of momentum, highly priced stocks, but I think they talked about Stitch Fix after earnings one day, because it's sort of on the tech radar, and they were pretty scathing about it, which got me interested. Uh, well, it just sound from what they're saying, it sounded interesting. I think I think that's probably, but it might have it might have come up a, quite a few times. But I, you know, decided to have a quick look at it. So it's got a market cap cap of two point nine billion at the moment. I've I've been trying to look at small comp. I've been trying to focus on small companies. I want to. Because they'd have a chance to sort of go 10x or even 100x. I mean, 2.9 is quite a lot, but you know, if the if the if the price if the market cap half, then it would be less enterprise value of 2.8 billion. So you know, if 10x from there is is highly possible with a company like this. And we've got a price to book of 6.89. That's sort of I don't for it's not really relevant. I don't think so much for a company like this. Um, debt to equity of 0.39, which is good. Current ratio of 2.25. Uh, revenue growth rate of 23.7% over the last few years. Price to sales ratio, which is I think is kind of relevant, is 1.71, which is pretty good. And an EV to gross profit of 3.75, as I mentioned. So it's definitely in the ballpark of being not expensive kind of tech stock, tech, retail, fashion, e-commerce. I mean, we'll talk about what they do soon. So it was interesting to me, and so I sort of dived in. And what is it? You know, what is the company? What does it do? It's an, on, actually, I saw, another thing I saw, there was a write-up on uh, Value Investors Club. That I they looked at that sort of sounded from way back in 2018, so the price was actually was 21.91 at the time when they did that, which is you know it hasn't really gone up. It's bounced around as I said, so it could easily be that today. And you know I've sort of seen various videos and things, but I haven't dug into the financials properly yet. This is just sort of trying to understand the business a little bit superficially. So there's a business description here. Uh, Stitch Fix is an online apparel business that uses a combination of proprietary data and personal stylists to sell clothing. 
customers sign up for Stitch Fix online and fill out a personal profile on clothing style preferences, sizes, and price points. The customer is then assigned to one of Stitch Fix's over 3,000 personal stylists. Using a combination of proprietary data and personal judgment, the stylist chooses five items from Stitch Fix inventory for the customer. The five items are mailed to the customer, delivered to the customer. The customer is allowed to try them on and sends them back, or sends back what they don't want for within three days, I think it is. And the, the customer pays $25 for the styling up front, just to have it sent to them. And if they buy something that's stylist, the fee is included in the price of what they buy. It's not a discount, they're full price. Uh, but you only pay for what you decide to keep and then you send the rest back, price included, so you just drop it in the mailbox. So that's kind of that's the idea of the company, and it's uh, I think you know you think but is this going to work? It's sort of personalized shopping, styling, personalized shopping, um, full price. So it's not it's not your low end, it's but not necessarily the high end either. I mean I've I looked at YouTube videos of there's, there's YouTube videos of of women in particular trying it out, you know, telling people about it, unboxing, and people do seem to like it, and they end up liking. I've noticed they end up buying at least one thing from the box, possibly more. And I think it's been, the company's been profitable for about five years. The CEO, Katrina Lake, says, has said, and it's, you know, it's, the thing is they didn't get a lot of VC funding. I mean, that's part of the story. That when they first started, she, she, possibly because she's a woman, I think it's kind of a sexist thing that, a lot of VCs, she said 96% of, VC, of VCs are men and she found it really hard to get money for this business even though she went to I think Harvard Business School but she originally, but I think they got 50, around 50 million eventually and then, so they sort of had to be profitable really early on and I think that's kind of helped the business, it's actually a plus. Um, so and part and part of the interesting thing is that they're building a sort of a proprietary database, or the the data is is incredibly is incredibly important to the business. And the company itself, you would think, sort of benefiting from a secular shift to to being to clothing being sold online. So they have no. There's no shops, but I mean they have warehouse and distribution, and that's obviously a big part of the business. I think that um, they actually early on she got she managed to get some uh, somebody who led distribution for Walmart or was high up in distribution for Walmart to help set up the distribution stuff. So you know these are good things. She's it's there's a good good recruiting, and I think the early VC helped set all this up. Um, so I mean you could say that some of the competitive advantages is in the data collection personalization so all the data that they're collecting really personal information from because you, you, you have to fill out a form and then uh, if you, when you over time the stylus or different stylus the company gets to know what you like what you don't like and that should over time as the theory goes Increase the flywheel effect, like Amazon's got this flywheel effect of AI 
or increased data acquisition and learning more and that sort of helps helps the helps this flywheel effect which is which has got potential or is it just talk is it just something to say i don't know <laughs> well i i think no i think there's definitely something to that that this could this is one of the reasons why it's working why it has worked uh let's see what else can we say um so about the the addressable market one of the things is that, that I saw is that in 2016 the US apparel and footwear market accessories market was through 353 billion dollar market 55 billion dollar of dollars of the market was online so it's like 15% penetration by 2021 market is expected to grow to 421 billion with 94, 94 billion online, that's 22%. So Stitch Fix theoretically has a good, a good, good positioning to take, take, to take advantage of this when other retailers who have had physical, uh, physical shops, I mean they're closing down shops, some are going under, and they're going to have to move online when such fixes sort of starting online and it's personalized which is a big part of it which hasn't really been done before or not successfully anyway such such fix was founded by katrina lake and she's still the ceo and she is she's one of the youngest founders ceos of a public company in fact she's the youngest woman to 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 take a company public so that's something very notable. And she, from all the interviews, she had a hard time doing it because of, I mean, I think because of sexism, she didn't say that, but it's got a part, a part to do with it for sure. She owns a good chunk of, this, of the company. One of the criticisms is that she's been selling stock sort of consistently, but she has grown it from to where it is today. Uh, billion dollars of sales in 2017 it was um and so yeah but you know other companies i think even jeff Be bezos people like that were sort of selling i mean she, it means that a lot of her wealth because she wasn't wealthy before this is was in the company is in the company but it's sort of i think it's acceptable to be selling at the selling some at the stage and notably, some of the C, one of the CVs, I'll talk about this later, hasn't sold any since uh, since the early days. Let's see, what else can we say? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it's been growing about, seems to be growing about over 20% a year. And obviously they're putting the old investing through the income statement i guess i haven't I actually haven't even looked at the financials yet and i will do that we're just talking qualitative so i'll skip over that um but it is working i they've had, i'm sure i think they're having a difficult year as are many many fashion retailers even online ones um So yes, yeah, such fixes building an entire business around cultivating personal style relationships. Really, 
and let's skip over some of this. I mean, I, as I said, I'm just digging into this myself to learn. I'm doing, doing this podcast partly for you, but also for me to actually, you know, talk it through and learn more about it, decide whether these are good ideas. This could be a good idea. It could be good for the future. One of the misconceptions about Stitch Fix actually is that, I mean, often I've seen, I've seen it said it's a subscription business, so subscription box business, which has, has had a bit of a stigma because some of it hasn't worked where you just pay per month. But the thing is, it's it's not like it isn't like that, and they're they're having more more options. It's changing, so you can they've rolled out their direct buy, so you can actually. If you like something before, you can just you can go and buy it again, and you can so they're sort of expanding with the stylus options where you get sent five. You can buy one of those items again. You can go to the site so or the app and sort of get things, buy them directly. It's not prescription. You don't have to do it. You can choose to do it like twice uh once a month or once every two weeks or whatever but you can just do it once a year so it's very flexible it's not the subscription business even though that would be recurring income it's a lot more flexible than that than that and it's becoming more so over time i think there'll be more options i mean some of these other companies that have been sort of in a similar space have had challenges like rent the runway uh, but you know they're still going it's different, but it's a different model. But um, we'll look into that a bit too. Um, the other thing is that the Stitch Fix could be acquired. I could see that. I could see that it could be acquired one day by other companies. I hope it doesn't if it does well, because we don't like to see that as shareholders. Really, we'd rather just see it grow. So one of one of the things, the elephant in the room, is Amazon which has actually started a personal shopper service, which is pretty much a Stitch Fix clone. And I look, actually that's one thing, obviously Stitch Fix is a concerning competitor because we want Stitch Fix, you know, Stitch Fix got a moat. I don't know yet actually uh, the, the barriers to entry there, if they got a good, going to have good market share. I mean, it's a big market. But if uh, Amazon could buy them for a start, if if Amazon competes and doesn't compete, could try want want to buy them. But I had a look at this personal shopper service, and and I had a look at a few YouTube videos of people who got that, and they they seem to be pretty pleased with it. But it's buried in the site. You know, Amazon's such a massive beast that they're not. It's not a separate site. It's kind of buried in the site, and it just wasn't didn't have the design and style that you'd kind of expect from a service like this where Stitch Fix is, is sort of uh, well-designed and appealing site on its own. But, you know, Amazon's bought things before. If you look at Audible, you know, it could be the the Audible of fashion that Amazon owns. But I don't, I wouldn't like to see that. The other thing is it's not really, particularly in Amazon's wheelhouse, the personal the personal shopping thing it's more like you go there for the cheapest thing you kind of know what you want already you're just looking for it and you buy it this is uh different so the personal shopping experience that's that's styled and but you know amazon could do it but if they if amazon if it doesn't work out and they ditch it then could stitch fix really have something 
have a decent note there. I will look, be looking into that further. It's just a question mark that I have for myself. Um, another thing is that it's kind of good for plus size women. It was part of. It's mentioned that it's a service that's good for people who just don't like to shop, and it's well known that for plus size women's apparel in particular, and that it's uh, it's sort of not a not not a pleasant experience to go in and shop and in store. The in store experience is not great. And so this could be a good option. And I have seen on YouTube videos that the uh, sort of plus size women in particular uh, do seem that, you know, it's a, it is a decent set of the market. Happy to try it on in their own home and even make videos about it. And the, the uh, clothes did, did look great. The stylist, ones that I saw, the stylist did seem to be doing a good job and they did pick things that, with the data and the stylus combined, it does, they do seem to come up with big, uh, with good picks. So, uh, let's see, what else can we say? Now, international. They are going into the UK, and the last earnings call that I did listen to, there seemed to be a question mark over whether it's going well, and I saw, seen comments that it, it may not be going well in the UK, so... It could be a real drag on the business, especially during COVID times that they're expanding into the UK. Yeah, it's a, it is a, that is a question mark. And the thing is that uh, one write-up I saw said that that's, you know, it's it could globally scale and be a, a good model because they can, you know, especially with the data, they could, it could could be replicate replicatable in in different countries, you know, but. It is retail, and it's hard to go. It's you know, it's hard to expand globally or to other countries. If it, the US is a big market by itself, it, this is early to expand. Um, but you know, there. If you think about the retailers, there are very few that are global. Even Amazon isn't, and is having has had trouble, various trouble, and. Um, you know, you think about the H&Ms with fashion, That's there are a few that have, Ikea's sort of gone global with retailing, but there are very few that have done it successfully, so this could this be any different even with the data advantage? I don't know. But they're going out early, they are going out early to expand. I could see it being replicated by other companies, you know, startups in other countries, which is probably why they're going out early. Um, and I think it's probably happening. I haven't looked into it. I'd actually heard, I mean, I'm in New Zealand, which is a very small market that international companies would sort of get last to, even though it's a developed country with sort of, it's only 5 million people or coming up on 5 million people. So, you know, like eBay didn't bother. So we have a company here called Trade Me, which is, has been very successful, but eBay didn't bother. And so, you know, there, there will be, there will be entrepreneurs in different countries that are seeing Stitch Fix and other companies like it and starting up. Um, what else have we got here? So the, the other another possibility is that they've got proprietary clothing brands. They they will I've seen I think they've already started doing socks, but uh, right down the line they could make their own clothes, uh, private label, like as happens in groceries. But probably will close. They can start off by slipping them into the box, 
as an extra item saying here try this or you know you could see that happening and that could help them um what else we got here so this is a growth okay i saw a interesting video by a uh well yeah i've seen a lot of videos about citrix but let's see we have yeah so actually i saw a video by this guy called stephen vaffia who posted on twitter in a thread about stitch fix that he'd done a, a breakdown an assessment i think he's a vc and he was talking about he kind of ran through the, the slide deck which was pretty helpful actually early on saying why he think it's a, it's good he's been onto it for quite a long time and uh, he thinks it's got a great management team it has got sustainable competitive advantages which i'm still to dig into that's going to be important and you know as i said you know katrina like started the business while she was at harvard business school well that's uh that would be a legendary story who else hasn't done that <laughs> bill gates uh, mark zuckerberg etc um so it's been profitable since 2015 despite considerable growth investments hitting the income statement this is this is, this is him talking uh, that they, they i mean the thing is that they do have a lot of data that they're collecting and so that's, that that could be a competitive advantage that they've been doing for so long and it's working that so it's going to be hard to catch them from their data from a data point of view so you can sign up for a bi-weekly monthly or quarterly it's not a subscription service that he mentions that's a again he mentions that's a misconception with the company so uh i can't think analysts are kind of not still not getting that part of it um, there have been previous things previously that have failed. Birchbox is mentioned. Uh, Fab, I don't know what Fab is yet. But, um, so, could it, one question mark is, it, could this be easily replicated, this business? You know, when you're talking about barriers to entry, is could this be, could, could competitors replicate this if it's working and catch up to them? The data is one of those things that's valuable and could be a competitive advantage because it's sort of personalized information and it uh, if they get it right for people and people are happy with it that's you say there's a form of customer capture which is a good thing for this so it's kind of develop, develops this feedback loop which could deepen a moat over time is what Stephen's thinking and that does that does make sense if it's working so he mentions a flywheel effect saying that he reckons that there is a definitely a flywheel effect there that's going that's if you was sort of speed one to ten it's going at three to four at the moment and if you think of amazon's i mean i read this book by it called bezonomics which talked about a lot about amazon's flywheel effect in the ai and the data creating this flywheel effect that spins faster and faster that's maybe going eight or nine or you know now and uh so if stitch fix has that developed that it's going slowly but over time it could spin faster so 
but personalization is kind of the core of the service, the service that Amazon doesn't do, and that could be if they if it's working and it seems to be working that they could it could really be their competitive advantage. Personalization leading to customer capture, right? Because people will, will keep it and could go from there. So it was it was in June twenty nineteen that they launched launched buy it again, which is a re repurchase of, of of favorite clothes. So if you got something in the box that they sent you, you could rebuy in like a different color or whatever, and that seems to be going well. Um, shop your looks is another one. November twenty nineteen, they started shop launch shop your looks is a curated digital storefront of 30 to 40 items so they've got these various things that they're starting expanding that kind of is more than the box they send you and direct buy format so they kind of you can see where this is going this could expand this could could get quite big from from these things from the, I mean yeah as long as it doesn't get confusing but um it's definitely something in private private label which I've mentioned. Right, so yeah, and Stephen also mentions the Amazon risk, and he he says that. Uh, I mean, Amazon did did launch as basically a Stitch Fix competitor, which means that they can see that it could work. <laughs> I mean, why would they launch it if they could, if it's not if they couldn't see. It? couldn't see that it, it could be something that they could really work with. It's personal shopper by Prime Wardrobe. So Prime members could get benefits from it. I think it actually is a subscription service. I think it's $5 subscription fee, $5 access for the styling service where you can preview picks before, you, before they're sent out. So it's a little bit different. Um, but you know, Stitch Fix is $25 for the styling fee, and then you get that back in the clothes buy. Stephen says he says uh, that he wouldn't be surprised if the share price was $100 within five years. I mean, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, so what have we got now? I've got it for 28 I mean, I think it was probably about 25 So he's saying 5x in five years, 100 100 100% uh, a year. Mm -hmm. Even if it were, even if it was longer than that, I mean, it's still good growth, and you know, it's they could get acquired, of course. But I mean, and this is the kind of investment that we're talking about here. Um, five x in in five years. Sorry, let's say four x in five years. It was it might have been twenty bucks when he was talking about it. I don't know, but let's say starting from twenty bucks. Yeah. 5x sure or right, well longer I mean still good um, so the thing is another thing that he notes that I haven't really dug too deep into but in insiders I actually I did I have, I have dug a little bit into this insiders own more than half of the company and he mentions that Katrina Lake has received flack for selling shares um, Sort of one about one million a year since going public, but going public and was founded in two thousand and eleven, and he he does say that 
he he thinks it's it's okay for her to 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 sell some and diversify into other companies. I see she's on the board of another company. What is it? Can't remember. Is it Grubhub or another? It could be Grubhub. Uh, and I also saw on a video that she mentioned her one of her the entrepreneurs that she looks after is retastings from Netflix. So she mentioned that more than once that she kind of likes what he's doing and sort of looks to that as a interesting model or or you know obviously has learned has learned has learned from what Netflix did. Um, so, but yeah, one of this is what I was saying one of the VCs from base baseline VC, the investor, who's been in in it for a decade and hasn't sold a share, which is quite rare. So you know that's a good sign of confidence from from VC there. Um, and, and benchmark has purchased shares this year so I've got an image here of um, of of some of the insider ownership that been there's there's been um, as I said as I mentioned earlier William Bill Gurley uh, bought some for around 1580 let's see yeah there's been buying there's been buying and I said Bill Miller who's one of like a one of those as a value investor has I think around four percent is it four percent of the company would that be right can't remember I'll look into that but you know that's as part of the sort of super investors value and super value investors well-known ones he owns he seems to be pretty keen on it from early on he sold some off at various stages but holds quite a big position and here it is. Percentage of shares outstanding, 2.75% of the shares outstanding, which is, you know, interesting. And so that's kind of all I want to say at this point. It's as far as I want to dig into it. That's been quite a lot. I think we'll leave it there. That's been quite a lot. I've got a, an under, a reasonable understanding of the company from there, but I need to dig much more into it and into the financials and as I said I've got a position in it already so I'll go from there but this is an interesting company I think it's got potential it's not expensive it's not I don't think it's particularly expensive could this could it take off from here it's it sort of had potential it's been going up and down I would be tempted to buy some more if it, if it drops way down but I'll continue looking at it or I could just sell it off if if I decide there's a there's a there's a showstopper there, but at the moment, and I just dig into the other competition apart from Amazon, though Amazon's probably is the biggest threat. Uh, but I kind of like it. It's interesting, and it's one of the very few tech. You could say it's a tech company that's not super expensive right now. I think it could be underestimated. I mean, I don't want to speak too soon, but it's definitely interesting. I mean, have a look at it. Have uh, you dig into it yourself and let me know. Message me. 
Um, I, as I said, it's Anchor FM. Look for me on there. Look for the show on there. As I said in the intro, and leave me a message. Give me say if you might be interested in this or what you know what you've got to say about it, what you think about it. Ask me any questions, and I'll see you next time.